0: Chapter Six of The Abbot's Ghost. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Lee Paquette. The Abbot's Ghost, or Maurice Treherne's Temptation, by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Six: Miracles. Great was the confusion and alarm which reigned for many minutes, but when the panic subsided two miracles appeared. Octavia was entirely uninjured, and Treherne was standing on his feet, a thing which for months he had not done without crutches. In the excitement of the moment no one observed the wonder. All were crowding about the girl, who, pale and breathless, but now self-possessed, was the first to exclaim, pointing to her cousin, who had drawn himself up with the help of his chair and leaned there smiling with a face full of intense delight. Look at Maurice! Oh, Jasper, help him or he'll fall! Sir Jasper sprung to his side and put a strong arm about him, while a chorus of wonder, sympathy and congratulations rose about them. Why, lad, what does it mean? Have you been deceiving us all this time? cried Jasper, as Treherne leaned on him looking exhausted but truly happy it means that i am not to be a cripple all my life that they did not deceive me when they said a sudden shock might electrify me with a more potent magnetism than any they could apply it has and if i am cured i owe it all to you octavia he stretched his hands to her with a gesture of such passionate gratitude that the girl covered her face to hide its traitorous tenderness and my lady went to him, saying brokenly, as she embraced him with maternal warmth. "'God bless you for this act, Maurice, and reward you with a perfect cure. To you I owe the lives of both my children. How can I thank you as I ought?' "'I dare not tell you yet,' he whispered eagerly, then added. "'I am growing faint, aunt. Get me away before I make a scene.' This hint recalled my lady to her usual state of dignified self-possession. Bidding Jasper and the Major help Treherne to his room without delay, she begged Rose to comfort her sister, who was sobbing hysterically, and as they all obeyed her, she led her daughter away to her own apartment, for the festivities of the evening were at an end. At the same time, Mrs. Snowdon and Anon bade my lady good-night, as if they also were about to retire. But as they reached the door of the gallery, Mrs. Snowdon paused and beckoned Anon back. They were alone now, and standing before the fire which had so nearly made that Christmas Eve a tragical one, she turned to him with a face full of interest and sympathy as she said, nodding toward the blackened shreds of Octavia's dress and the scorched tiger-skin which still lay at their feet. That was both a fortunate and an unfortunate little affair but I fear Maurice's gain will be your loss. Pardon my frankness for Octavia's sake. She is a fine creature, and I long to see her given to one worthy of her. I am a woman to read faces quickly. I know that your suit does not prosper as you would have it, and I desire to help you. May I? Indeed you may, in command any service of me in return. But to what do I owe this unexpected friendliness? cried Anon. "'both grateful and surprised. "'To my regard for the young lady, "'my wish to save her from an unworthy man.' "'Do you mean Treherne? asked Anon, more and more amazed. "'I do. Octavia must not marry a gambler.' "'My dear lady, you labour under some mistake. Treherne is by no means a gambler. "'I owe him no goodwill, but I cannot hear him slandered.' You are generous, but I am not mistaken. Can you on your honor assure me that Maurice never played?" mrs Snowdon's keen eyes were on him, and he looked embarrassed for a moment, but answered with some hesitation, "Why, no, I cannot say that, but I can assure you that he is not an habitual gambler. All young men of his rank play more or less, especially abroad. It is merely an amusement with most and among men is not considered dishonorable or dangerous ladies think differently i believe at least in england at the word abroad mrs snowdon's face brightened and she suddenly dropped her eyes as if afraid of betraying some secret purpose indeed we do and well we may many of us having suffered from this pernicious habit i have had special cause to dread and condemn it and the fear that Octavia should in time suffer what I have suffered, as a girl urges me to interfere where otherwise I should be dumb. Mr. Arnon, there was a rumor that Maurice was forced to quit Paris, owing to some dishonorable practices at the gaming table. Is this true? Nay, don't ask me. Upon my soul, I cannot tell you. I only know that something was amiss. But what, I never learned. Various tales were whispered at the clubs, and Sir Jasper indignantly denied them all. The bravery with which Maurice saved his cousin and the sad affliction which fell upon him silenced the gossip, and it was soon forgotten. Mrs. Snowdon remained silent for a moment, with brows knit in deep thought, while Anon uneasily watched her. Suddenly she glanced over her shoulder, drew nearer, and whispered cautiously, Did the rumors of which you speak charge him with and the last word was breathed into Anand's ear almost inaudibly. He started, as if some new light broke on him, and stared at the speaker with a troubled face for an instant, saying hastily, "'No, but now you remind me that when an affair of that sort was discussed the other day, Treherne looked very odd and rolled himself away, as if it didn't interest him. "'I can't believe it, and yet it may be something of the kind.' "'that would account for old Sir Jasper's whim "'and Treherne's steady denial of any knowledge of the cause. "'How in heaven's name did you learn this?' "'My woman's wits suggested it, "'and my woman's will shall confirm or destroy the suspicion. "'My lady and Octavia evidently know nothing, "'but they shall, if there is any danger of the girl's being won by him.' "'You would not tell her?' exclaimed Anon. "'I will.' "'Unless you do it,' was the firm answer. "'Never. To betray a friend, even to gain the woman I love, "'is a thing I cannot do. My honor forbids it.' "'Mrs. Snowden smiled scornfully. "'Men's code of honor is a strong one, "'and we poor women suffer from it. "'Leave this to me. "'Do your best, and if all other means fail, "'you may be glad to try my device "'to prevent Maurice from marrying his cousin.' Gratitude and pity are strong allies, and if he recovers, his strong will will move heaven and earth to gain her. Good nights, and leaving her last words to rankle in Anon's mind, Mrs. Snowdon departed to endure sleepless hours full of tormenting memories, newborn hopes, and alternations of determination and despair. Treherne's prospect of recovery filled the whole house with delight, for his patient courage and unfailing cheerfulness had endeared him to all. It was no transient amendment, for day by day he steadily gained strength and power, passing rapidly from chair to crutches, from crutches to a cane and a friend's arm, which was always ready for him. Pain returned with returning vitality, but he bore it with a fortitude that touched all who witnessed it. At times motion was torture, yet motion was necessary lest the torpidity should return, and Treherne took his daily exercise with unfailing perseverance, saying with a smile, though great drops stood upon his forehead, I have something dearer even than health to win. Hold me up, Jasper, and let me stagger on, in spite of everything, till my twelve turns are made. He remembered Lady Treherne's words. If you were well, I'd gladly give my girl to you. This inspired him with strength, endurance, and a happiness which could not be concealed. It overflowed in looks, words, and acts. It infected everyone, and made these holidays the blithest the old Abbey had seen for many a day. Anon devoted himself to Octavia, and in spite of her command to be left in peace till the new year, she was very kind so kind that hope flamed up in his heart, though he saw that something like compassion often shone on him from her frank eyes, and her compliance had no touch of the tender docility which lovers long to see. She still avoided Treherne, but so skillfully that few observed the change but anon and himself. In public Sir Jasper appeared to worship at the sprightly roses' shrine, and she fancied her game was prospering well. But had anyone peeped behind the scenes, it would have been discovered that during the half-hour before dinner, when everyone was in their dressing-rooms and the general taking his nap, a pair of ghostly black figures flitted about the haunted gallery, where no servant ventured without orders. The major fancied himself the only one who had made this discovery, for Mrs. Snowdon affected Treherne's society in public— and was assiduous in serving and amusing the dear convalescent, as she called him. But the general did not sleep. He too watched and waited, longing yet dreading to speak, and hoping that this was but a harmless freak of Edith's, for her caprices were many, and till now he had indulged them freely. This hesitation disgusted the major, who, being a bachelor, knew little of women's ways and less of their powers of persuasion. The day before New Year he took a sudden resolution and demanded a private interview with the General. "'I have come on an unpleasant errand, sir,' he abruptly began, as the old man received him with an expression which rather daunted the Major. "'My friendship for Lady Treherne and my guardianship of her children makes me jealous of the honor of the family. I fear it is in danger, sir. Pardon me for saying it, but your wife is the cause.' "'May I trouble you to explain, Major Royston?' was all the general's reply, as his old face grew stern and haughty. "'I will, sir, briefly. I happen to know from Jasper that there were love-passages between Miss Dewberry and himself a year or more ago in Paris. A whim parted them, and she married. So far no reproach rests upon either. But since she came here it has been evident to others as well as myself that Jasper's affection has revived—' And that Mrs. Snowdon does not reject and reprove it as she should they often meet, and from Jasper's manner, I am convinced that mischief is afloat. He is ardent, headstrong, and utterly regardless of the world's opinion in some cases. I have watched them, and what I tell you is true. Prove it I will They meet in the North Gallery, wrapped in dark cloaks, and play ghost if any anyone comes. I concealed myself behind the screen last evening at dusk, and satisfied myself that my suspicions were correct. I heard little of their conversation, but that little was enough. Repeat it, if you please. Sir Jasper seemed pleading for some promise which she reluctantly gave, saying, While you live, I will be true to my word with everyone but him. He will suspect, and it will be useless to keep it from him. "'He will shoot me for this if he knows I am the traitor,' expostulated Jasper. "'He shall not know that. I can hoodwink him easily and serve my purpose also. "'You are mysterious, but I leave all to you and wait for my reward. "'When shall I have it, Edith?' "'She laughed, and answered so low I could not hear, "'for they left the gallery as they spoke. "'Forgive me, General, for the pain I inflict. "'You are the only person to whom I have spoken.' and you are the only person who can properly and promptly prevent this affair from bringing open shame and scandal on an honorable house. To you I leave it, and will do my part with this infatuated young man if you will withdraw the temptation which will ruin him. I will. Thank you, Major. Trust to me, and by tomorrow I will prove that I can act as becomes me. The grief and misery in the General's face touched the Major, he silently wrung his hand and went away, thanking heaven more fervently than ever that no cursed coquette of a woman had it in her power to break his heart. While this scene was going on above, another was taking place in the library. Treherne sat there alone, thinking happy thoughts evidently, for his eyes shone and his lips smiled as he mused, while watching the splendors of a winter sunset." A soft rustle and the faint scent of violets warned him of Mrs. Snowdon's approach, and a sudden foreboding told him that danger was near. The instant he saw her face, his fear was confirmed, for exultation, resolve, and love met and mingled in the expression it wore. Leaning in the window recess, where the red light shone full on her lovely face and queenly figure, she said, softly, yet with a ruthless accent below the softness, dreaming dreams maurice which will never come to pass unless i will it i know your secret and i shall use it to prevent the fulfilment of the foolish hope you cherish who told you he demanded with an almost fierce flash of the eye and an angry flush i discovered it as i warned you i should my memory is good i recall the gossip of long ago i observe the faces words and acts of those whom i suspect and unconscious hints from them give me the truth. I doubt it, and Treherne smiled securely. She stooped and whispered one short sentence into his ear. Whatever it was, it caused him to start up with a pale, panic-stricken face and eye her as if she had pronounced his doom. Do you doubt it now? she asked coldly. He told you. Even your skill and craft could not discover it alone, he muttered. Nay. I told you nothing was impossible to a determined woman. I needed no help, for I knew more than you think. He sank down again in a despairing attitude and hid his face, saying mournfully, I might have known you would hunt me down and dash my hopes when they were surest. How will you use this unhappy secret? I will tell Octavia and make her duty less hard. It will be kind to both of you, for even with her this memory would mar your happiness— and it saves her from the shame and grief of discovering, when too late, that she has given herself to a- Stop! he cried, in a tone that made her start and pale, as he rose out of his chair white with a stern indignation which awed her for a moment. You shall not utter that word. You know but half the truth, and if you wrong me or trouble the girl, I will turn traitor also and tell the General the game you are playing with my cousin. You feign to love me as you feigned before but his title is the bait now as then, and you fancy that by threatening to mar my hopes you will secure my silence and gain your end. Wrong, quite wrong. Jasper is nothing to me. I use him as a tool, not you. If I threaten, it is to keep you from Octavia, who cannot forgive the past and love you for yourself, as I have done all these miserable months. You say I know but half the truth. Tell me the whole, and I will spare you. If ever a man was tempted to betray a trust, it was Treherne. then. A word, and Octavia might be his. Silence, and she might be lost. For this woman was in earnest, and possessed the power to ruin his good name forever. The truth leaped to his lips, and would have passed them, had not his eye fallen on the portrait of Jasper's father. This man had loved and sheltered the orphan all his life, had made of him a son, and dying, urged him to guard and serve and save the rebellious youth he left when most needing a father's care. "'I promised, and I will keep my promise at all costs,' sighed Treherne, and with a gesture full of pathetic patience, he waved the fair tempter from him, saying steadily, "'I will never tell you, though you rob me of that which is dearer than my life. Go and work your will.' But remember that when you might have won the deepest gratitude of the man you professed to love, you chose instead to earn his hatred and contempt. Waiting for no word of hers, he took refuge in his room, and Edith Snowden sank down upon the couch, struggling with contending emotions of love and jealousy, remorse and despair. How long she sat there she could not tell. An approaching step recalled her to herself, and looking up she saw Octavia, as the girl approached down the long vista of the drawing-rooms her youth and beauty innocence and candor touched that fairer and more gifted woman with an envy she had never known before something in the girl's face struck her instantly a look of peace and purity a sweet serenity more winning than loveliness more impressive than dignity or grace with a smile on her lips yet a half-sad half-tender light in her eyes and a cluster of pale winter roses in her hand, she came on till she stood before her rival, and offering the flowers, said, in words as simple as sincere, Dear Mrs. Snowdon, I cannot let the last sun of the old year set on any misdeeds of mine for which I may atone. I have disliked, distrusted, and misjudged you, and now I come to you in all humility to say, Forgive me. With the girlish abandon of her impulsive nature, Octavia knelt down before the woman who was plotting to destroy her happiness, laid the roses like a little peace-offering on her lap, and with eloquently pleading eyes waited for pardon. For a moment, Mrs. Snowdon watched her, fancying it a well-acted ruse to disarm a dangerous rival. But in that sweet face there was no art. One glance showed her that. The words smote her to the heart and won her in spite of pride or passion, as she suddenly took the girl into her arms, weeping repentant tears. Neither spoke, but in the silence each felt the barrier which had stood between them vanishing, and each learned to know the other better in that moment than in a year of common life. Octavia rejoiced that the instinct which had prompted her to make this appeal had not misled her but assured her that behind the veil of coldness, pride, and levity which this woman wore, there was a heart aching for sympathy and help and love. Mrs. Snowdon felt her worser self slip from her, leaving all that was true and noble to make her worthy of the test applied. Art she could meet with equal art, but nature conquered her. For spite of her misspent life and faulty character, the germ of virtue, which lives in the worst, was there, only waiting for the fostering sun and dew of love to strengthen it, even though the harvest be a late one. Forgive you," she cried brokenly. "It is I who should ask forgiveness of you. I who should atone, confess, and repent. Pardon me, pity me, love me, for I am more wretched than you know. Dear, I do with heart and soul. "'Believe it, and let me be your friend,' was the soft answer. "'God knows I need one,' sighed the poor woman, still holding fast the only creature who had wholly won her. "'Child, I am not good, but not so bad that I dare not look in your innocent face and call you friend. "'I never had one of my own sex. I never knew my mother, "'and no one ever saw in me the possibility of goodness, truth, and justice but you.' TRUST AND LOVE AND HELP ME, OCTAVIA, AND I WILL REWARD YOU WITH A BETTER LIFE IF I CAN DO NO MORE. I WILL, AND THE NEW YEAR SHALL BE HAPPIER THAN THE OLD. GOD BLESS YOU FOR THAT PROPHECY. MAY I BE WORTHY OF IT. THEN AS A BELL WARNED THEM AWAY, THE RIVALS KISSED EACH OTHER TENDERLY AND PARTED FRIENDS. As Mrs. Snowden entered her room, she saw her husband sitting with his gray head in his hands, and heard him murmur despairingly to himself, My life makes her miserable, but for the sin of it I die to free her. No, live for me and teach me to be happy in your love. The clear voice startled him, but not so much as the beautiful changed face of the wife who laid the gray head on her bosom, saying tenderly, my kind and patient husband you have been deceived from me you shall know all the truth and when you have forgiven my faulty past you shall see how happy i will try to make your future chapter six recording by linda